Perspective Audio Podcast, broadcasting out of the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas, hosted by Christian Salinas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode. I am your host, Christian Salinas. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we had as guests on this podcast uh, Mrs. Stephanie Herwick and Mr. Mark Pena, who discussed some of the environmental concerns that are specific to the Rio Grande Valley. And uh, they pointed out how probably the biggest environmental problem in our area is the Mexico-United States barrier, or more commonly referred to as the border wall. Now, a few weeks after that episode aired, Mrs. Herwick contacted us and uh, directed our attention to research being done by Mr. Scott Nickel, who has uncovered some recent uh, developments on plans to finally finish the original plan for the border wall by constructing three more sections in the Rio Grande Valley through the Star County cities of Rio Grande City, Roma, and Los Avenos. As we've mentioned before, this podcast is based and produced in Star County, so we were very motivated to try to find out more about what exactly is going on. So we contacted Mr. Nickel and, uh, first of all, asked him how he knew so much about what's going on with the border wall. I am a volunteer with the Sierra Club's Borderlands team, uh, as well as with No Border Wall. Uh, and I've been working on uh, issues related to the border wall in South Texas and along the entire southern border um, since before the Secure Fence Act was passed, actually. For the benefit of anyone who might be new to the Valley, we asked Mr. Nickel if he could offer just a brief explanation of what the border wall is and what have been some of the consequences of it being built? Sure. The border wall came out um, after the Secure Fence Act. There had been a couple of short walls before that, but the big one uh, was a result of the Secure Fence Act in 2006. Uh, right now, there are 650 miles of border wall along the 1,900-mile southern border. Especially in South Texas, done tremendous amount of damage. You have over 400 land condemnation suits, uh, you have wildlife refuges that have been cut by the wall. Um, there's In Arizona, there's been flooding issues, and in California, there's been erosion issues. There's all kinds of really bad problems. It sounds like the border wall has had some pretty bad consequences so far. But after doing some of our own research, we discovered that back when the idea of the border wall came up, it seemed as though most of the country seemed to believe it was a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it nationally it is popular. I mean, if you if you look at opinion polls, when you get closer to the border and get closer to people who, uh, you know, can actually see the thing and know what it does, the support plummets. But yeah, for people that have never been to the Rio Grande in their lives, the wall sounds great. And so that's why it's being built, because you have politicians in uh, North Carolina and Kansas and Utah that, you know, they're never going to see this thing and their voters are never going to see this thing. But they can say, I'm tough on immigration. I'm tough on national security. And so it's a great campaign thing. But that doesn't mean it's something we should do. All of us here living in the Rio Grande Valley are well aware that there is a huge difference between the valley of 2006 
and the Valley of 2011. I'm referring specifically to the dramatic increase in violence happening just across the border. We asked Mr. Nickel if it was possible that the border wall might be helping keep some of that violence from spilling over into the U.S. No, because it doesn't have any effect on that. I mean, the wall is completely irrelevant as far as um, the, the amount of, of undocumented immigrants that come into the United States. It has no effect on that. Uh, the amount of drugs that come in has no effect on that. Um, the General Account- uh, the Government Accountability Office uh, put out a report that said that Homeland Security hasn't even bothered to look at whether the wall has any effect on anything. But if you look at um, rates of violence along the border, we have you know a lot lower uh, rate of violence than uh, cities farther north. You know, Dallas is more violent than McAllen. And so the idea that we're getting a lot of spillover from Mexico, it's just, there's nothing to back that up. You know? And so the idea that we should put up a wall to stop something that we don't have any evidence is even happening in the first place is ridiculous. And the wall itself doesn't do anything because people go around it. You know, more than half of the people who are in the United States uh, without proper papers came in over a bridge or on a plane. They basically, uh, over half of them overstayed tourist visas or work visas. Uh, So they, you know, a wall, they wouldn't have even seen a wall. It absolutely makes sense for the United States to have control over immigration and have control over who comes in and who doesn't. Um, And, but I think that's something that you handle through immigration reform. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to burden the border patrol with catching people that, you know, just want to come in and hang drywall or pick vegetables. You know, if, if we had a process for them to come in legally, then the Border Patrol could focus on the bad guys and not be wasting their time on people who aren't any threat at all to the United States. This all leads to a very obvious question. If the wall is actually causing problems instead of correcting them, how was it allowed to be built in the first place? When the wall was built... Homeland Security was given the authority to sweep aside any law that they saw as being inconvenient. So the laws that would normally protect people and and uh, refuges along the, the border, those aren't in play anymore. I have to admit, Mr. Nichols' answer was a little confusing. How could a government agency like the Department of Homeland Security simply just ignore the law? Uh, it's because in 2005, to try to speed up construction of some of the walls that were that they were trying to build in California through um, sensitive habitats, Congress gave uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security the authority to waive any law that he or she, he or she saw fit to speed up construction. Um, even the president doesn't have that authority, but the Secretary of Homeland Security does. And so in uh, Secretary Chertoff in 2008 waived 36 laws to build the border wall. In the waiver, Chertoff said he was also waiving all uh, local, state, and federal laws related to the subject of the laws that were waived. So he waived the Safe Drinking Water Act. All laws related to water were waived in the area that the waiver covered. So that actually sparked a lawsuit and a challenge by um, the water district in El Paso, saying, what laws are we supposed to operate under if you've waived all the laws related to water? And water is our, what we do. 
So now that we know a little bit about the history of the border wall, we asked Mr. Nickel if he could give us a rundown of what's happening with the wall now. Well, basically, um, about 650 miles have, have been built. There had originally been a plan for another 14 miles to go up in three sections. Uh, those would be in Roma, Rio Grande City, and Los Ebanos, Texas. And they were held up because uh, they would have been built in the floodplain. All the other stuff in South Texas was built um, either in the levees or north of the levees, and so they're not in the floodplain. They wouldn't affect flooding in Mexico. They wouldn't um, potentially redirect the Rio Grande if there was a flood. You know, if there was a flood in the, in the river, water could be deflected south. The river could settle into a new channel, and we've got a whole new border and, you know, lands that used to be Mexican are now U.S., and so that would be a big treaty violation. So they couldn't build in the floodplain, uh, and so those three sections didn't get built. Uh, I've gotten documents from Customs and Border Protection that show that since that time, they've continued to push for those walls. Being that the wall has caused problems in other areas, we asked Mr. Nickel what, in his opinion, based on his research, would be some potential problems to the Star County area if the last few sections of the wall were fully constructed? Uh, well, according to the, the flood model that, that Customs and Border Protection paid for, um, and they apparently paid over a million dollars to get these models made, um, the wall would split flood water because you've got these walls where their starting point upstream is close to the river, and then they, then the river and the wall diverge. The river heads a little bit more southerly. The wall heads a little bit more northerly. Um, and so you, in some places you can get you know, half a mile, a mile or so between the two. The wall would split off flood water that would otherwise just follow the channel, and they would split it off to the north. And because the wall is going to be right up against people's homes and properties, you're basically channeling flood water into Roma, Rio Grande City, and Los Ebanos. You're, you're going to actually be increasing the amount of water that goes into those towns if the Rio Grande floods. So that would be the, that would be the biggest uh, potential problem. You probably also have bad deflection, you know, which is the thing that they're claiming wouldn't happen. And you know, you'd almost certainly in, uh, in Roma in particular have water that would hit the wall because it's so close to the river uh, and flood out Mexican homes and, and businesses. Now, in conclusion, since Mr. Nickel mentioned how most of the original plan for the border wall is pretty much already complete, but there is still a chance that something could be done about the remaining segments that are planned to be built in Rio Grande City, Roma, and Los Evanos. We asked him if he could give some examples of what each of us could do if we wanted to do something about it. Well, I mean, with all three of those communities, um, the first thing they should do is call their U.S. representative, Henry Cuellar's office, and ask him what he's doing about this and what he knows about this. Um, he's never been a supporter of the border wall, uh, but... You know, he's also on the Homeland Security Committee, and he should be informed of exactly what's going on in his district by Department of Homeland Security. And then he should be making sure that that information gets passed along to his constituents in these cities. I mean, um, as far as I know, nobody in any of those three towns has been contacted in the last couple of years about the fact that 
Department of Homeland Security still wants to build these walls. You know, they should be at the table. These discussions about whether or not to flood out their property shouldn't be made without them present. And Representative Cuellar should be working to ensure that his constituents are kept in the loop and are part of any discussions about what's going to happen to their homes and their communities. You know, one thing that we learned in opposing the border walls when they were first being built down here is that, you know, local opposition is important, but these moves are coming out of Washington, D.C. And so if, if you don't have uh, people in Washington, D.C., like Representative Cuellar, really working hard, because he's only one vote out of 435, so to really push these debates and push these votes, he's got to really work hard, um, you know. And if not, we get, you know, like HR 1505 is being pushed by a representative from Utah. You know, he doesn't live anywhere near the border. He's exactly midway between the southern and northern border. He's as far away from those as he could be. But he's pushing for this HR 1505, and that would waive. It would do the same thing as the Real ID Act, except it would cover a lot more. Uh, the Real ID Act waivers only covered border wall construction. Uh, H.R. 1505 would extend those waivers to cover anything the Department of Homeland Security wants to do within 100 miles of the entire southern border, the entire northern border, and all coastlines. And so that would be potentially uh, causing tremendous problems. You know, all of the problems that people who are who live right next to the wall are experiencing right now, you know, those would be... Uh, possible for people within 75 miles or 100 miles of the border. You know, can't see it, don't, you know, nowhere near it, don't interact with it on a regular basis. But, you know, for some reason, they would be covered. You know, the entire state of Hawaii would be covered. The entire state of Maine and the entire state of Florida would be covered. Uh, it's a really insane bill. But it's got a good chance of passing in the current House of Representatives. And I think people really need to be aware of it. And, you know, again, contacting their representative and demanding that they, they not only vote against it, but they stand up to it and, and denounce it on the floor. We want to thank Mr. Scott Nickel for taking the time uh, to talk to us. If you would like to stay up to date with what's happening with the border wall, uh, you can visit the the website www.no-border-wall.com or you could contact Mr. Nickel directly. I can be reached at noborderwall at yahoo.com uh, that no border wall being all one word. And uh, Mr. Nickel also suggested doing a quick Google search of Congressman Henry Cuellar to find the Congressman's most recent contact information. And I think People should, you know, that's, politicians generally respond to voters. If you, if there are constituents, call them up and say, hey, my vote for you is dependent on, you know, whether or not you fight to stop a wall from going through my community, so pay attention to that. Um, but if he doesn't hear from anybody, he's got other things on his mind. And that's it for this week's episode. As a reminder, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast for free right off of the iTunes store, or you can uh, stream us directly to your smartphone using the Stitcher Smart Radio app. 
Also, if you like what we do and would like to support our efforts, there are several ways you could do that. Something as、uh, simple as telling your friends about us and telling them to subscribe to the podcast.、Uh, you could also go to our main site,、uh, www.bpscast.com, and click on the support link up on the top menu. As always, we welcome all feedback and suggestions. You can reach us via our Facebook page. Or via our email, bpscast at gmail.com. For Border Perspective, I'm Christian Salinas, and as always, we thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading the Border Perspective audio podcast. You can find archives of past episodes, more information about all our guests, and our most recent contact information on our website, www.bpscast.com. Produced by Border Perspective Studios. An independent digital media company.